Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And it's the only church of the seven where Jesus commends them for their agape love. Remember, agape in Greek or in English is love, but in the Greek it's agape. And that word is is the highest form of love in the Greek language. It's it's the most amazing love. It's the most self-sacrificing love. It's the most other-centered love. It's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated for us while he was on the cross, right? Welcome, everyone, to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob Kellogg continues in Chapter 2 of the Book of Revelation and the Letters to the Seven Churches. Thyatira was the least significant city among the seven cities Jesus addressed, yet they were not hidden to Jesus. Like each one of the churches, Jesus said to the church at Thyatira, I know your works. In many ways, The church at Thyatira was a model church. They had four great essential qualities. They had love, both for the Lord and for one another. They had service and had faith and patience worth mentioning. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues our study. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 29 this morning. As you know, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, those two chapters comprise letters that Jesus actually wrote or dictated to John to write down to give to the churches at that time, and we're talking about sometime around uh, 95 or 96 A.D., okay, so this is well after, some 60 years after Jesus has died on the cross, and so now John, a very aged man, receives this revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ on the Isle of Patmos, which you know was in the uh, Aegean Sea, just off the coast of modern-day Turkey, about 30 miles and it's there that the Lord gives this, these letters to John. And each of these letters are, uh, contains encouragement, and it also contains things that these churches could be doing better. And the Lord is so wonderful. He always brings the things that we're doing well first, and then he also says, but I also have something against you. In other words, you have some things you need to work on. Aren't you glad that the Lord is like that? Because He is God, He has the ability to just speak us out of existence. I mean, He's able to do that. We know that Jesus rose again from the grave. He passed through walls in this resurrection body that He, that he has, and He spoke all things into existence. And so it is easy for the Lord to speak something out of existence. He could have done that. He could have done that. 
But the Lord loves us, you see, and, and that's the thing that people don't always understand is they think that God is just this angry deity in the sky that just is looking and can't wait, actually, to pound you for your sin. And that's just not the nature of God. There have been churches over the centuries and churches even in America today that preach a God that's angry and is just angry with you. But l- listen, folks, you know this. But Jesus became sin for us on that cross. He bore the punishment for our sin. There's no need for God to be hammering on us. He does chasten those whom he loves, but it's different. Chastening is with uh, instruction to draw us closer to him, and condemnation is destruction. And that's really what happened with Jesus on the cross. He was condemned by his own Father, God in the flesh. Jesus hung there on the cross while God the Father condemned him on the cross. And Jesus bore the punishment for your sin and my sin. So there's no need for God to want to crush you. In fact, it is because of his great love for you that he gave this gift. Isn't that what the gospel says in John's gospel? For God so loved the world. Some churches, you almost wonder if they should rewrite their own scripture and say, so God so hated the world that he just wanted to squash them like a grape. But folks, that's not the truth. It's not the truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have what? Everlasting life. And see, this is who God is. And so he gives this, these churches correction, but first he tells them the things that they're doing right. And so we're going to look at the fourth church, and today we land on Thyatira. Some things about Thyatira before we actually read the scripture. As you know, there's seven letters. We're reading the fourth of those seven letters. And of the seven letters, this one is the longest. It's the longest letter that Jesus had written to these seven churches. And it's also one of the smallest cities, the least known, the most obscure. And it's the only church of the seven where Jesus commends them for their agape love. Remember, agape in Greek or in English is love, but in the Greek it's agape, and that word is 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 the highest form of love in the Greek language. It's it's the most amazing love. It's the most self-sacrificing love. It's the most other-centered love. It's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated for us while he was on the cross, right? And so, but this is the only church of the seven where Jesus commends them for their love, for their love, and it's also a church. An area, the city, was known for its numerous trade guilds. They had many carpenters, uh, dyers of, of, of materials, merchants, cloth makers, and other trades. And if you remember Lydia from the book of Acts, she came from this town. Now, you have to remember that if you're looking at a map, per se, of Asia Minor, where Thyatira is, In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, it tells us that Lydia, it says that she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So she was in Philippi in Macedonia, which is modern-day Bulgaria, Greece, in that area. This is where Paul met up with her about 30 years, at least 30 years prior to this letter being written to Thyatira. So This woman, Lydia, was a believer, and she was originally from Thyatira, evidently had traveled west over to Philippi, and that is where Paul, in Acts chapter 16, meets her, and she entreats them and takes care of them, 
you know, for their food and, and, and covering and stuff like that. And so it's a really wonderful event if you read that in Acts 16. And it very may well have been that when she came back to her homeland, to Thyatira, after a meeting with Paul, it may be that, that she may have been one of the catalysts for the church that started there. And so it's kind of interesting to, to consider. But another thing about this city that is unlike the other cities, other churches that we've talked about so far, for instance, uh, Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum that we've already discussed, unlike those other cities, uh, this city, Thyatira, was, it wasn't a pagan religious center and didn't have any great pagan temples like the other cities did. Uh, even though they worshipped false gods in this city, it wasn't like Pergamum where there was a, a temple on every high hill. So Thyatira was not like that. And there wasn't centers of emperor worship like we saw in Pergamos and other cities that we've already talked about. Let's go ahead and read now Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, and then we'll go back and take a look at each one of these things. Revelation 2, verses 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. To you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as also I have received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so let's go back into verse 18 and let's take a look at this. An interesting church, it's called the corrupt church. And you know, it's an unfortunate thing when you consider what God has done in the lives of his people. He's given us the Spirit of God to indwell us. He's given us the hope of heaven. He's given us the hope of the rapture of the church, which the Bible is very clear about, that Jesus is clear about. And we, we have this, this treasure in earthen vessels, don't we? In, the, in these earthen vessels that we have. And God loves us so much. And His desire for the church is that we might shine, that we might bear fruit for Him, that we might be ambassadors for Him to the world because the world needs to be saved. Now, the whole world is not going to be saved, but the world needs to be saved, just like you and I individually needed to be saved. I needed to be saved from my old nature. I needed to be saved from the punishment that I deserve because of my sin. I was born a sinner. Every one of us was born in sin. Isn't that what the Bible says? For there is none good, no, not one, says the Lord. 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we all have that stamp of, of condemnation on us, and that's why we needed Jesus. That's why we needed a new nature, because I was born with a dead nature, and a, a nature that was corrupt, and we inherited it from our parents, Adam and Eve. In Hebrews chapter 5, or Romans chapter 5, it talks about that, how it was passed along, this, this nature of sin was passed along to us. And that's why you don't have to teach a baby to be selfish because it's, it's very natural because they're born a sinner. In spite of how cute they are when they're born, we all need Jesus. And so we need to be born again. That's what the Bible says. But the church is meant to be something that is holy. The church is meant to be something that is an ambassador for God to the world. And we need to worship Him. We need to be vocal about Him. Are you vocal about your faith, about Jesus to other people? I would encourage you to not allow yourself to be cloistered in and allow the fear of what people may think of you as you go out into the world because that is one of the reasons why we're here. That's one of the reasons why the Lord has saved each one of us. He's got a plan for each of our lives. Have you discovered you know, what that plan is? It's a wonderful plan. I'm discovering what the Lord's plan is, I'm discovering it. Notice I didn't say discovered because He's working and He's still working. And I, I don't know what He has for me in the future other than that it's good if it's in Him. And I may go through difficulties, but I know that ultimately He's got my, you know, He loves us and He's got a plan for each of our lives. So that's His plan. And His plan was never that the church would be corrupt. His plan was never that the church would be so enamored with the things of the world that people would cease to to understand what the difference is between the church and the world. And there ought to be a very big difference. But it's unfortunate in the time that we live in, and it's been happening for a long time, ever since the church was birthed in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, that the church has been enamored and, and, and gets lazy. And we, we, we look at the things of the world and we desire those things only to realize that it's like gravel in our mouth. After we reach for the candy that, that the devil puts out for us, we, we reach for whatever that is and we find that we're not satisfied. And the Lord is saying, I am your satisfaction. I am the one who can fulfill you. And yet, because we're not in the Bible, because we're not in the Word of God, because we're not in prayer, because we're not demonstrating those things and allowing God to use us, what happens to us? We get, we get kind of old and we get kind of stale. We need revival. Jesus wants to revive us because we have grown cold and we've gone asleep and we need to be revived again. We need to be revived again. You revive something that was once alive and that's why we need it. And that's why this church that we're looking at this morning is so important to us because this is what we don't want to become. Now, corporately, this church was corrupt, but Jesus said, as we read here in the text this morning, that not everyone in the church had these was was uh, incorporating and listening to this doctrine and, and, and giving themselves over to idolatry. Not all of them were. Uh, many of them were, were holding fast, and he admonished them for that. And see, we need to be that part of the church that holds true to the Word of God, that holds fast to the things that he has given to us. We cannot be lazy, and especially in the time that we're living in now, we have to let our light shine brighter than ever before brighter than ever before. So let it challenge you. Don't let it condemn you because God doesn't want to condemn you, but I will say that he wants to challenge you. He wants to challenge me to get out of my uh, my fear of man and to focus on him and not to be afraid of what man could do to us. So let's look at verse 18. It says, And to the angel, or the pastor, if you will, of the church in Thyatira, 
write these things, says the Son of God. I would have you underline Son of God, because this is the first time uh, that he refers to himself as the Son of God in the in any of the seven letters. He says, These sayings, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. The word Thyatira, this name literally means sacrifice of labor. Or in modern times, uh, it, it can also mean white castle. And I don't know the connotation of that, honestly. I haven't looked into that, but it doesn't really matter. A Thyatira. Um, notice that he says, These things says the Son of God. The Son of God. Notice the authority that Jesus has as the Son of God. And, and that's good for this church to know because, because of their compromise, because of how they allowed themselves to be corrupted. Sometimes we need to be jostled out of our, out of our slumber. And Jesus says, These things says the Son of God, not the Son of Man, but the Son of God. And that ought to instill reverence in the heart of everyone who hears that, especially when he's addressing them in that way. The Son of God. Remember what it says in John chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the Son of God. He is Almighty God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, And he, the Word, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. We find out later in verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this Word, this Logos is what it means in the Greek, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we know who he is. Right? It says right here that he's equal with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is God. And I love in, in Colossians chapter 1 what it says in verse 15. Paul said to them, he's, to the Colossians, he said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Did you get that? That is so important. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created. So who created the world and everything in it? Jesus did. Jesus did. God the Father gave all authority to his Son. He did. And he created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created, notice, through him and for him. Boy, that's powerful. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church. Who is the head of the church? It's not the Pope. The head of the body is Jesus Christ. Is the head of the body uh, any pastor on this earth? It doesn't matter how famous they are. Is the head of the church Billy Graham? As much as I love Billy Graham, he is not the head of the church, and he would be the first to say so. He knows, and he knows right now, because he's in glory with the Lord right now, that Jesus, he is the head of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things, that in, that in all things, we might that he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all fullness should dwell. So Jesus is God. In a chapter over from Colossians 1, in chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in Him, speaking of Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is the mystery of the incarnation. How can this Almighty God, who the Bible says that even the heavens can't contain Him, and that he he holds, and everything is in the palm of his hand. Another in Isaiah, I believe it is. It says that he holds the world, the whole universe, in the span of his hand. 
That, that's how big God is. And, and that's just a, a picture. He's much bigger than that, of course, but all of that could be put into a small package of a human being. That is the mystery of the incarnation that God, he's fully man, but he's fully God. And I love what it says in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus, after his resurrection, said to his disciples, he came to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And uh, so Jesus uh, is almighty God and he's equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. What does it say in Philippians? As I'm just rattling these off, I would just encourage you to write these scriptures down, review them later, but I'm going to read some of them to you and be encouraged about who Jesus is. Because remember, he's talking to them. He says, thus says, thus says the Son of God. And so I'm going to develop this just a little bit more before we move on here. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, what did uh, Paul say to the church at Philippi? He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Notice, he's equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That's encouraging, isn't it? Because that's who Jesus is. Is that the Jesus that's being portrayed in, in other churches? Not necessarily. Some actually put Mary on a higher pedestal than Jesus. They say that you have to pray to Mary in order for Jesus to listen. That is heresy, folks. That is not the truth at all. In fact, that's what one of the reasons of the Reformation with Martin Luther was that very thing that I just shared with you. There is no one. He is the head of the church. Jesus is God. He is equal with God the Father. And because of this authority, it behooves us, doesn't it, for us to listen to what he has to say. And one of the signs of the end times that, that is, is clear is a revolt and a disdain against all authority against all authority. And as we look at this church, they became more enamored and, and weren't holding to sound doctrine, but they were um, putting those the, the truth, they were pushing it away, keeping it at bay. They didn't want to hear the truth. They wanted to hear things that made them feel good, that, made them, uh, that brought pleasure to their bodies, that, that brought pleasure to their mind and their own ego. But what does it say? In Jude chapter 1, verses, uh, in Jude at chapter 8, actually, it says, uh, as Jude is talking about false teachers in the end days, he says, likewise, these dreamers, they defile the flesh, they reject authority. Notice, they reject authority and they speak evil of dig dignitaries. These are luminaries, and it could mean angels or authorities uh, that we have, even uh, uh, physical authorities that we have, governors, presidents. But they, 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 they disdain those things and they speak evil of authority. Uh, uh, Paul speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He also said this. He spoke to Timothy and he said, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. I believe we're in those times, don't you? <laughs> Is there anybody in the world right now that can say, No, these aren't perilous times. Things have just been going great. Love this place. <laughs> I want to stay here forever. Are you, do you want to stay on this earth forever? I don't. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go and be with the Lord. I'm ready to be in heaven. And certainly we're going to be on this earth, we know, for at least a thousand years. But that's a whole other topic. Before the end, the end of the end, where, will, where eternity will be ushered in, a new heavens and a new earth. You can read about that in the very last book of, of Revelation. But notice what he says to Paul, or what Paul says to Timothy, excuse me. He says, but know this, 
2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, But know this, that in the last times perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money, boasters, they'll be proud, they'll be blasphemers. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.